From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. As the COVID-19 pandemic spread rapidly across the world, most of the medical community had their focus turned sharply to healthcare capacity. But as doctors know, they are only where they are today because they trained for their career. And medical education is generally very intense and traditionally face-to-face. So what about the thousands of medical students studying to one day work in the health system that were suddenly forced to stay home? And what of the quality of their medical education during this year? Today, Associate Professor Adrian Torda on the disruption to medical education and what this shake-up means for how we train the next generation of doctors. Professor Torda, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Francine, for inviting me. Nice to meet you. Adrian Torda is an Associate Professor in Medical Education and Innovation and Associate Dean at the University of New South Wales. So firstly, Adrian, let's go back to January and February of 2020. I imagine you were ready to begin another teaching year. What did that ordinarily look like? And when was the moment that you realised that it wasn't going to go that way? Thanks. That's a great question. And over the last month or two, I've actually been trying to reflect a lot about what's happened this year. And it's hard because it's like we live in a different reality now. So the start of a normal year for me as an Associate Dean of Education in our, primarily I look after the the medical program. It's an undergraduate medical program. It's a six-year one. So each year looks a little bit different. So first and second year, we group together and they're mainly on campus with a little bit of clinical. Year three becomes closer to half-half. Year four is a fully research year. And then our year five and six are full clinical placements. So our students are doing rotations through a number of clinical terms throughout those two years. So if we think back to the beginning of the year, we were just starting to teach our more junior students on campus and suddenly campus closed down and they couldn't go into the hospital area. A lot of our year threes, we had to pull out of essentially half of their their work, which was the clinical work, and they had to go fully online. Year four, suddenly their research had to become paper research. Luckily, they were still in the early stages, so that was still the the kind of... um, background part of it but our year five and sixes were probably the most affected they start their their university year on January the 5th essentially around there so some of them were overseas doing electives some were here but overseas students they were they were thrown out of clinical placements initially or at least the groupings were changed dramatically Um, some students were overseas and couldn't get back here some had to come back and do Um, ice quarantining. It was chaos. Every year was suddenly super affected. And then we had our poor students who whose families were overseas and the families were often saying, look, come straight home. I'm really worried about you. I need you to be near me. And then we had students who were close to finishing who said, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of the front line. But there was chaos not knowing how many cases we'd have in Australia and not knowing if we'd have enough PPE or masks and narrowing things down to essential health workers and not knowing whether these students were essential health workers and whether we had a duty to 
protect them or to keep them graduating because obviously we need them to be the medical workforce of 2021. So that's a long answer, but it kind of describes the chaos and sudden turmoil that we were thrown into between February and March. And at that point, you and your colleagues were already looking at the future of medical education and you you probably thought that it was a much longer road to implementing some of those ideas. Was COVID a catalyst in bringing some of those ideas forward much sooner than expected? And what did that look like for your faculty? You know, many areas of many workforce have dramatically changed changed their approaches to life and to learning and to practising as a result of COVID. But we had already been looking at how we could improve and revamp our curriculum. And a lot of the things have to do with the advances in technology both the use of technology and the way technology is used in medicine. Educational pedagogies have changed. So the way we teach students and the way we understand learning has changed as well. So now if something's online, it's not going to be an an online recorded lecture that somebody passively listens to for 55 minutes. Although we still use that and it had still been used a lot in medicine, we, we want things to be more interactive. We want to get the students involved in thinking about the problems and thinking about how you approach solving those problems because we can find content anywhere. So we have a combination now of we had to have online, interactive, engaging activities with people, with content experts, and we had to package these and we had to even assess them as well. I suppose, although that was incredibly challenging, it also meant that for our senior students who might have been located at one clinical site and only exposed to one clinical teacher, we could now spread our our activities because, you know, you can do that online. You can scale them so much more easily. You can calibrate them. You can ensure quality. So we, every single year of our medical course was, or our medical program, I should say, was affected. We started developing really good activities to try and um, teach our students. We had to engage them, but then a catch-up part of this was to really incorporate good educational approaches Yeah, and what has been the feedback and experience of students over the last year? So in the last couple of weeks, I've done grand rounds a few times with my students using um, getting both junior and senior students to join me. And it's been amazing because initially they just went, oh, my God, we can get all of this and you guys have worked day and night, which we did. You know, we worked incredibly hard to make sure that we maintained the quality and we substituted different but comparative activities. So for instance, the junior students can't go in groups to see patients and learn how to examine them at the moment, but they can learn to talk to them because we've developed online simulated patient platforms where they can speak to people who are simulated patients and they can do all that communication and history taking. And so the students were really grateful that we were able to continue, you know, 90 to 95% of their um, learning as per usual. But they are still struggling with the online environment. They struggle with, main, just as we all do, like it's no surprise, we all struggle to maintain engagement by about the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or the seventh hour at our computer. We're like, oh, I'm just going to check, you know, Instagram or whatever. So they're struggling with that. Some of our students um, weren't able to make the friendships and networks and participate in the non-core kind of social aspects they've really suffered, you know, because they came to uni for the full experience and they 
had been sent back home into their studies to just get the online experience. As you've just pointed out, it is so hard, you know, for everyone, not just university students, to stay focused online for the amount of hours that you described. I mean, I certainly feel it when I attend virtual conferences, for example. But with medicine being as human-centred as it is, how do you think the era of more online learning in medicine will ensure that, you know, patient empathy and good communication continues across varied formats because the platform that you described is one version, but it's, as you would know, it's so different when you're eyeballing a patient in a face-to-face consultation. Yeah. And Francine, you know, sometimes I worry about these things being so much harder with the online approach that we've had to move to. But even though they're harder online, they are still hard even in the face-to-face journey through medical program. And it's one of the hardest things is to um, pick up students who aren't doing so well at mastering skills like communication or, um, you know, it's hard to know whether you can teach someone empathy, but you can certainly get better at it. And, you know, that communication aspect, the human aspect of being a doctor as you practice it. And so we do worry that we've had to push that down the line for some of our students. But at the end of our medical program, we still have the same expectations and we still have not the same assessments, but the same level we're looking to assess. And so we will need to make sure that we get our students across the line. We still need to make sure that they've all had the actual human interaction necessary and that they're competent in that to become a good doctor. So it's like moving chairs around the living room, I suppose, and the students get really worried about it. And I keep saying to them, we will not test you on anything we haven't taught you. And we won't let you get to the end without having taught you everything you need to be taught to be a good doctor. Looking forward, what do you see as having to be incorporated into medical education following this pandemic, you know, perhaps something that wasn't already taught in great Mm. detail before 2019, but has really come to the forefront in the medical workforce during this crisis? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's just teaching medicine is such an iterative process. Like you're constantly needing to adapt your program to match the changes in the medical workforce. And every year or two years or three years, things are being done differently. So for example, almost every hospital now uses electronic medical records. So we have to teach students how to use electronic medical records during um, the program, and we do that. And so understanding and using technology, even using AI and things like clinical algorithms. So we need to keep updating that constantly to match what's going on in the workforce. And luckily, because we're largely clinical based in our program, we can do that. We just have to make sure we're doing it explicitly. And I think that we've changed a lot of our assessments. So for instance, they're open book exams. And when you have an open book exam, the content that you can memorize becomes you know, unimportant. You have to make sure that you're assessing a higher level of thought process, such as adaptive problem solving. So we have to teach our students earlier on, very explicitly, how to be good adaptive problem solvers. And believe me, as a clinician myself, this is 90% of what I do every day. I just problem solve with the knowledge I've got. And I suppose the last thing that we are being more and more explicit about, because we need to, is um, mental health and wellbeing. We know that um, doctors have a much higher incidence of mental health issues than the rest of the population. Becoming a medical student, getting through the medical program is really stressful. So we're putting a lot of emphasis onto wellbeing and talking about it 
and you know, letting our students not just know how to deal with it or what to do or what resources, but how to recognise it and how to recognise it in their mates and destigmatizing it so that we can build up support all around that um, well-being part of being a human, really. Yeah, and I think something else that you and your students are probably thinking about this year as well is that, of course, medicine has always been an unpredictable career choice. Uh, there's something different and new every day, which is part of the attraction and the excitement but there still was some level of, you know, it being a little bit predictable, but this year has just thrown that idea out the window and what has been required of our healthcare workers is quite phenomenal. What do you see as key skills that junior doctors are now going to need when they leave university and heading into these next two decades of what we think will be unpredictable climate, perhaps more natural disasters and the threat of more pandemics like the one that we've seen in the last year? I think, you know, one of the things that I don't think I used to talk about as an educator previously, but I talk about nonstop now is resilience and teaching people personal resilience, but also thinking about how you incorporate resilience into your, like for me, it's into my medical program, but it can also be into my department or unit or institution. And personally, it's like, well, I might be doing this or I might be doing this. Some of it's about personal risk as well. Like I said, some of our medical students wanted to, um, you know, were really frightened about being in healthcare once they thought about the personal risk. Some some of their parents, you know, emailed us and called called us and said, how can you still have medical students in the hospitals? But other medical students said, give me a mask. Let me get onto that front line. I want to help. I want to pull together, you know, with all of my colleagues and do what I can. So we we still have that spectrum of kind of people's preparation for personal risk, but we have to be able to quantify that and really um, procedurally do everything we can to minimise that risk. So I think, you know, the two things are really personal leadership, so getting your own kind of domain where you feel comfortable and you know what you're going to do and you know how you're going to advocate for that, but also personal and um, professional resilience. In terms of international travel still being up in the air, how's that impacting student numbers in terms of enrolling in medicine? So we don't know yet is the real answer, but they're still expecting that we're going to get 80 to 100 foreign students, international students. All the usual things for acceptance have gone ahead, you know, the interviews and looking at the marks and all that kind of thing. I'll be I'll be super interested to see um, you know how many accept offers because and that's why we're designing a hybrid course. So for those who are here, we're going to teach a mixture of like I said, you know, lectures will be interactive online um, things, but pracs will have some face to face, some online tutorials, some face to face, some online until you know the year unfolds and we know what will happen and and who can get here when. So the students have to deal with a huge amount of uncertainty. Professor Torto, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Francine. It's been lovely uh, talking to you today. You've been listening to The Tea Room. To catch up on other episodes or to subscribe to the show, just search for The Tea Room on Spotify, the Apple Podcast Player, or whatever service you like to get your podcasts.